The special message that we present at this time has to do with an individual who is trapped by the enemy. And each one of you have this sheet in which we've spelled out the story very briefly with some wonderful promises from the Lord that this dear individual, whom we shall call Daisy, claimed and how she found release through Jesus Christ. Daisy was a, a Christian young woman. She really loved the Lord. Before she had found the Lord, she had been married and was divorced. She came to the Lord, gave her life over to him, united with the family of God, was happy in his service. She attended religious gatherings, some of them out in the open, and really was enjoying his presence. But uh, one day, a friend of hers told her about a very energetic Christian worker. And uh, this friend said, uh, this young man is not married. And she said, I would like to introduce you to him. Uh, when Daisy first saw this young man, she thought to herself, no, I'm not interested in him. But then he seemed to take an interest in her and was very thoughtful. And before she realized it, she was really interested in him. They began to date. He began to tell her some fantastic stories about his experiences in the Lord. He even told her how that he'd ridden in, uh, in these wonderful saucers. He told her of his great burden to go as a foreign missionary. He would teach in one of the advanced schools. Little did she know that he'd never even passed grade school. And as he went on and shared with her one thrilling experience after another, which he never had. Little did she dream that he was a seducer. And almost before she realized it, she was drawn like the filings, iron filings, you know, steel filings before a magnet. And she noticed that in his missionary work, he was attracting people. They were drawn to him just like they'd be drawn to a magnet. And before she realized it, she had gone so far that she was now ready to be engaged. Uh, then he told her that uh, in his missionary endeavor, he needed some money. So she began to make him payments and they opened a joint bank account. He also had another bank account. Instead of drawing from his bank account, he draw, uh, drew from their joint bank account. She kept making payments as, into this bank account until finally she had spent all of the money and couldn't even make payments on the car. But she believed in the young man. And after engagement, he began to ask her very delicate personal questions, sex questions. And she said, I, I, I loved him so much. How in the world could I have been captivated by him to such an extent that I didn't realize the whole picture of what he was, what was all about? And she said, I, I, I tried to sidetrack his, his conversation, but all to no avail. And she said, as you ask various questions, I would say, now, after we're married, you will know all of this. But he was persistent. And she said, how in the world could I be taken in so much? She said, I was even praying to the Lord, Lord, guide me 
But she said, I, I later realized that while I was asking the Lord to guide me, I really had already made up my mind, and I was virtually telling the Lord how to guide me. Oh, she said, what a tragedy <clears throat> for anyone to ask the Lord to guide them, but not to permit him to guide them. For us already to have made up our mind, of course, she was lonely. She longed for companionship. And she said, and then, she said, as he would press these, these delicate questions, these intimate questions, she said, one night I just broke down completely, gave myself over to him. And she said, the sin that I committed filled me with such guilt that I actually contemplated suicide. She said, when I realized that I was going to give birth to a little baby, and I explained this to the young man, I realized then that he, could, he couldn't care less. He had no desire to assume any responsibility whatsoever. I found that he didn't love me. And she said, then I realized the trap that I was in. As the months came and went, she said, I, I said, I, I, I believe I'll abort. She said, I tried heavy exercises, hoping that that way <clears throat> I might accomplish it. But she said, God was good to my unborn child. And then I decided that I, I better flee from society. She said, my mother was not a member of the same church family of which I was. And, and I hesitated for, ever, for her ever to know the circumstances and how I was trapped. But she said, finally, as I prayed about it, I decided that I would unburden my heart to her. So I traveled over to where she was. I opened my heart to my mother. And she said, and my mother, bless her heart, was so kind. She was so pitiful. <clears throat> she said, Daisy, I would advise you to go to church. Oh, she said, no, if I should go to church, they'd disfellowship me. And her mother said, why don't you go and visit your pastor? He will help you, I'm sure. And she said, that day that I finally brought myself to the place where I would go and, and seek his counsel, I walked into that pastor study all a tremble. And she said, that wonderful man of God told me that every sin that any human being commits can be forgiven as we repent and confess. And as I recall this experience, friends, you may want to notice, just before she went into the pastor's study, in fact, several months before, her experience could be summed up in point four of the outline of the text. Would you like to read it with me? I looked on the right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. She said, but as I stepped into that, that pastor's study, and he told me of the love and the grace of God, oh, she said, it did something to my soul. And as I was reconstructing the experience, I felt that the text under item five would be applicable. Maybe you would read it with us. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, 
thy God reigneth. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Don't you thank the Lord for a promise like that, friends? And another promise has come to my mind as I reconstructed this story. And I would like to have you all read this, and you may want to share these promises with hearts that are troubled. It's under number six. <clears throat> Who is a God like unto thee? Would you read it with me? That pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Don't you thank God, friends, for such wonderful promises? And she said, as the pastor talked with me, he said, Daisy, I want you to be in church next week. She said, I could hardly believe it. You know, the pastor was so kind, so compassionate. He didn't scold me. He didn't belittle me. He let me know of a compassionate, loving, merciful Savior. And she said, so I was in church next week. And she said, as I continued going to church, there was a group of ladies that invited me into a, into a small prayer group. She said, as I entered that ladies' prayer group, I want to tell you they claimed one promise from God's Word after another. And she said, one of the promises that meant so much to me was Matthew 11, 28. Come unto me. All of you, by the way, who, who remember this may quote it with me. Come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Oh, she said, that meant so much to me. She said, those ladies were so kind. They were so Christ-like. None of them were looking down their nose at me. None of them were belittling me. They were placing big arms of love about me. And she said, I finally plucked up the courage to really believe that God would accept me back. She said, as my little baby was born, I was claiming the promise of the Lord, and I was claiming that promise, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I claimed that promise as my little baby was coming into the world. She said, I am sharing this with you, Pastor Kuhn, that you might share it with others, the idea, that others may know that though they're trapped by the enemy, and she said, I believe that I was actually hypnotized by this man. Though we're hypnotized and trapped by the enemy, that our Lord is willing to release us. We can come and unburden our souls to him. And she said, and I know he will take us back. Now, I would like to share with you as you take notes in the studio and the viewing audience, I'd like to share with you some of the lessons that I gain from this experience. And the Holy Spirit may impress you with other lessons so that as in a few moments from now we meditate on the notes that we're taking and then later share them under share time, we may be a blessing to one another. And then we may go out and witness to other souls that are trapped by the enemy. For my dear friends, those who are trapped by the enemy number into the millions. They're in almost every street of every town and every city. 
What an opportunity the children of God have to bring hope and comfort. And the Lord is saying, how beautiful upon the mountains are your feet as you bring good tidings of good to aching, weary, troubled, frustrated, almost suicidal hearts. The first lesson would be, my friends, and it's found in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearances of evil. This is under point three. This lady, Daisy, as she, in retrospect, lived over this experience, I'm sure she would be saying to you and me, don't take the first step downward. The first sign of the questionable means beware. Don't take another step. Abstain from all appearance of evil. The agony through which that lady passed that she shared with us, the terribleness of the guilt that possessed her soul was so far greater than the sensual pleasure that she had. My friends, there's no comparison. It's all contrast. And so abstain from all appearances of evil. Don't take the first step, and we'll never take the second <clears throat> and the third as we travel along the highway of life. The second lesson is this. <clears throat> and I have studied much from my favorite author under this. No matter how religious a person may appear, the first insinuation of evil from those lips should be like that of a serpent. Don't ever be taken in by someone because he appears to be very enthusiastic, very religious. No matter what connection he claims to have with God, my friends, the Bible says, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus said, don't, don't mis be deceived, don't be mistaken by their fruits. You can know from their conversation whether they're really of the Lord or not. Are they leading us upward? Are they lifting us up into the arms of Jesus? Or does our faith weaken in this engagement? And if we find in the engagement that our, our, our spiritual lives are weakening, then cut it off. It's a lot better to cut it off than it is to go through with it. I don't often tell people this, but once in a while, I was engaged three times. <laughs> the third engagement led to the marriage to the wonderful wife I have, a tremendous child of God. The first engagement was to a lovely individual. But as we continued our fellowship, it dawned over both her and me that we really were not cut out for each other. Though she was a Christian and I was a young minister, and I thank God for giving us the courage to break the engagement. Now, don't think that it's easy to break an engagement with one that, whom you really love. I used to walk down the streets of Washington, D.C. after we broke that engagement, and the tears were in my eyes. There I was out visiting, and I said, Lord, don't let me, don't let me ring a doorbell like a sissy and people see me with tears in my eyes. Lord, help me to gird up my mind and, and to be strong and realize that I must face the facts. And the facts are, can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. And so we broke the engagement. <clears throat> Not long after that, 
uh, I formed another fellowship with a young woman that was altogether different from the first. She was very active also in church work. Sometime after we were engaged and we were about to set the time for the marriage, I received a letter from her. And it went something like this. I want to be real fair with you. It is true I'm a church member. It is true that I'm also an officer in the church. But she said, it is also true that I'm not even interested in religion. I thought, what in the world? A minister is going to marry a very lovely lady, but who isn't even interested in religion? And so that engagement was broken. <laughs> and then I said, dear Lord, <laughs> I said, you know, I chose the first young lady. <laughs> My oldest brother chose for me the second. <laughs> and neither of our choices seem to be the right ones, though they're both lovely people. Now, Lord, I'm not going to be satisfied unless you choose the next one. In fact, I said, Lord, I don't know whether I want to marry anybody again or not. I've had enough heartache, and I've caused enough heartache also. Engagements that are broken aren't just heartaches on one side. And I said, dear Lord, I just kind of think maybe I, maybe I never will keep company with the, anybody again of the opposite sex. And just about that time, I was invited. I just bought a new pair of shoes. They were patent leather shoes, I remember. And I met a friend of mine, and she said, we're going for a hike tonight, several miles out. Wouldn't you go with us? I said, well, these are new shoes. I don't know whether I could stand it that long enough. Oh, she said, come on, Glenn, we'll have a good time. So we went hiking. We must have gone three miles out and, three, and four miles, I think, back. That's the way the patent leather shoes told me. And on the hike, every once in a while, I found myself walking beside a lovely young lady. And I want to tell you, she talked about Jesus Christ. And I found a humility and a dedication that I said, here, I've just broken off the last engagement. No, 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 I'm not going to keep company with her. No, no, no. And I'd go back to my room, I'd fall on my knees, and I'd pray for a half an hour straight, again and again and again. Lord. I don't want it to be my choice this time. I want it to be your choice. And every time I was on my knees, the thought voice from the Lord said, she is my choice for you. And I married her. And we've had, uh, as you can imagine, we've had several years together, several happy years together. She participates in every form of Christian endeavor in which I'm engaged. She writes, helps me write books, she edits the books. She does all the bookkeeping for video evangelism. She does all the bookkeeping for the ABC Prayer Crusade International. She does all of our personal bookkeeping. She makes the finest bread in the world, and there's a lot of religion in a loaf of whole wheat bread, and maybe a little more religion in a loaf of rye bread. <laughs> we'll leave that for your conscience. As I look back over the years of our marriage, and I think on the marriage of the engagement of Daisy. I say to people today, and all who are viewing this, and all in the studio at this hour, my friend, when you think of forming a friendship that may last for life or may be terminated quickly, go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. He will teach us who is best fitted for our own personality.
And the last lesson that I would like to share with you is this. And you'll notice it in the last text of Scripture in our outline. It is the story of Israel of old, God's people. As they were on the border of the promised land, the devil had tried many ways to discourage them. He had gotten a hold of Balaam, who was a former true prophet of God, and now became a soothsayer to go over among the Midianites and the Moabites, and they'd ask him to come over and curse God's people. You remember every curse that he tried to voice turned into a blessing. And, and Balaam said, I can't curse those whom God is not cursed. And Balak, you remember, so angry with him, Balaam wanted the money, a house full of money. He went back home and he said to himself, I still want that money. If I can get God's people into adultery and fornication and idol worship, then these people can easily overcome them. And so Balaam went back to Balak and he said, I have the answer. You send the pretty women over into the land of Israel. You let them seduce the children of Israel and God himself will curse them then and they'll be an easy prey. So the Midianitish women came over and you've read the story in the Bible probably again and again. And my friends, the result was thousands upon thousands upon thousands of God's people were destroyed by the Lord. We are today on the borders of the eternal world. Jesus is coming again. The, the very subtle temptation which Satan used so many thousands of years ago, he's using today to break homes and to break hearts. Let us look up to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to claim your promises of protection. And now we've come to question and answer time. The first question. How could anybody claim to be a Christian and do what that man did to that girl? You know, that's a good question. The Bible says that there's a deceitfulness of sin. A deceitfulness of sin. And it also speaks of people with a seared conscience. You see, the more a person sins, the more he himself is deceived. It says, men will arise deceiving others and being deceived. Uh, maybe some of you remember that, that as, you, as you reconstruct the story of Hitler, for instance, those who know him best or knew him best tell us that the man actually was self-deceived. Think of the millions of people he was responsible for destroying. It shows how deceptive sin is. This is why we should keep our consciences very sharp, isn't it? The next question. Uh, this person says, I can surely sympathize with that young woman. I'm single and lonely and find very little warmth or fellowship from my fellow church members. Aren't all cold Christians in a way responsible for this young woman's plight? Isn't that true? Shouldn't we as Christians, all of us, warm up uh, in, our, in our gatherings to shake hands with each other, to greet one another? I've noticed that in our studio group here. I've noticed a lot of sweet fellowship here, and it's wonderful. The Lord says we love him. This is 1 John 4, 9. We love him because he first loved us. So we thank the Lord that we, can, we have the right to engage in a sweet, uh, wholesome fellowship in Jesus Christ. 
Well, that's uh, <clears throat> really what we all ought to do, but what if you just don't feel like being warm when you go to church? Uh, Galatians 6, 7 says, <laughs> Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. George W. Crane, Dr. George W. Crane used to say, go through the motions and you'll have the emotions. For instance, let me illustrate. Uh, let's say that I just don't feel like shaking hands with anybody now, but I come down and do it anyway. And I say, good evening, I'm glad to see you. Now what happens when she smiles at me? I smile too. Now, now I feel different. I went through the motions of fellowship and the Lord gave me the emotions. Now I feel like shaking hands with somebody else. How are you this evening? And someone else, you see. And uh, maybe uh, those here in the audience would like to shake hands with each other right here. Would you like to shake hands with each other? Let's see how you do it. Oh, this is lovely, beautiful, lovely. All right. <clears throat> the next question. Okay. Would it be right to break up a marriage after a number of years of married life when you find out you cannot get along together and it affects the children when you both argue and fight amongst yourselves? Uh, this is a very outstanding and a very sincere question. In our next session, by the way, which is entitled, Let's Communicate, I believe that we can present and will present from God's Word ways by which any two people who will humble themselves can communicate. I do not believe that it's essential for anybody to break up their home. And we'll deal with that in the next session and we invite you all to be viewing it and uh, to be with us in the studio. I don't believe that divorce is essential. Now it's true that if one individual will not cooperate in any way, if one individual is selfish, and all this individual is thinking of is their own selfish interests, and will not communicate, then that's a different story. And they begin to run around and they, and they squabble. But wait until you listen to the next study together and see whether you believe as we do. A question was asked the other night about forgiving an unfaithful mate. And this questioner says, how can we be sure our unfaithful mate is sincere in confession? I was not satisfied with your answer the other night. Should our willingness to forgive be conditioned upon our mate's promise for the future? Is God's forgiveness conditional to us? Well, that, that is a very sincere question. No, how in the world can we know, definitely, when a mate has been unfaithful again and again, how can we know definitely that the promise of faithfulness will hold? We can't. Let's face it. We can't. But we can, we can lay down before this mate certain uh, things that they should do. For instance, some time ago we received a letter from a lady. She said, my husband confessed to his unfaithfulness. He'd been unfaithful and he told me, and she said, I know the woman with whom he's had this affair. She said, and, and he asked me to forgive him, and I told him I would. She said, but this man invites this girl over to our home. We sit around the table, and I look under the table, and I see him holding hands with her. And he said, well, we're just friends. She said, uh, he said, we're, we're having no affair at all. We're just friends. 
She said, but it bothers me. She said, Pastor Good, what would you counsel? I said, I would counsel you to tell him, break it and break it quickly, immediately. What good are his promises if he's running into temptation? Abstain from every appearance of evil and, and lower the boom on him <laughs> and say, listen, brother, I'll accept your promises when you are showing by your attitudes that you've broken. So there are certain conditions. Uh, this questioner wants to know that if you happen to be like the girl in the story tonight, if you're such a naive person, how can you realize a person is putting you on? Do you really have to be on your guard all of the time? Uh, you might claim a couple promises from the Bible. Here's one, James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, it shall be given him. Ask the Lord to give you wisdom to understand whether in your fellowship with this individual, this individual is lifting you spiritually or drawing you down. That is the cue. You see, Daisy, if she'd stopped to realize it, she could have known that she was being drawn down because he was actually leading her into a sensuous act until finally all of her, all of her defenses were broken down. If the individual with whom one is keeping company is leading us and drawing us to greater purity, praise the Lord, you see. And that isn't all. People who are looking forward to marriage should study several things. One is, do they see alike in, in religious views? If they don't see alike in religious views, though they're both sincere and they're both Christians, if there's some outstanding differences in religious views, it'll be very difficult for them to get along together, especially when children are born. For instance, I have, I have discussed this. I remember I, a, uh, a very fine Catholic boy was engaged to a fine Protestant girl. And uh, somebody came to me and they said, look, this girl, this Protestant girl is going to marry a Catholic. Ugh. And I said to myself, no, it isn't that. This Catholic boy may be just as lovely a Christian as she is and may be better. The question isn't whether he's a better Christian or she's a better Christian. The question is, when they're married, will their religious differences bring them unhappiness? Now, if a person is married already and one accepts the Lord and the other doesn't, or one accepts a certain uh, religious view and the other doesn't, the Bible says, don't depart. But before they're married, if they find their religious differences are, are great, they should say, thank you, Lord, for revealing it to me now. If they, they should also study their finances. Uh, who is the boss in the finances? Do they have two separate bank accounts and are they satisfied? Uh, in the area of, uh, of their physical and their social well-being, to what extent are they in agreement? This all should be decided before marriage. But, again I repeat, if they're already married and one finds himself or herself coming on to what they believe is a more spiritual relationship with the Lord or is a different relationship to another, then the both should say, look, I, want, I don't want you to break your conscience to please me. Conscience is a very important thing. So married people should say, by God's grace, let's learn answers and let's be happy together and 
study with us, if you will, the next session. The next question. And this questioner apparently uh, knows someone or perhaps themselves are in that situation and says this, if a family is divided because of different religions, is there a promise to claim for this problem? Yes, there is. There are several promises that can be claimed. One of the most outstanding of all promises is Ezekiel 36, verse 26. It says, A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'm thinking of a couple that were in one of our seminars some time ago, and they were just ready to break up because of the differences. Every time they would meet, they would quarrel. If they, if they drove for a little love trip, they would quarrel. All the while they were quarreling, they were just ready to file for divorce. And I was presenting some of these promises that can change hearts. And I said, if your heart is hard toward each other, the Lord who created the human heart can give you a new heart. He said, a new heart I'll give you, Ezekiel 36, 26. And I kept uh, emphasizing Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. You ask the Lord to give you a new heart. You believe it. You claim it. Those are the ABCs of prayer. And you'll do it. And you know the Holy Spirit came into that young man's heart, young man, maybe 35. You know, a person is young in relationship to what age I am. <laughs> All right. And one morning, while we're still holding the meetings, he opened his Bible, and Ezekiel 36, 26 jumped out at him. He said, Lord, give me a new heart. I've had, a hard, I've had hard feelings toward my mate. Lord, I ask you to give me a whole new attitude toward her. I believe you're doing it. You're my creator. Lord, thank you. You're giving me a new heart. And he went over to the telephone and called her on the phone. And he said, hello, honey. How would you like to go out for a ride with me? She said, all right. And as they were riding together, he turned to her and he said, honey, would you like to know why, with the hard feelings I've entertained toward you, would you like to know why I invited you to go for a ride with me? She said, I'd like to know. He said, I claimed a promise this morning that God would give me a new heart. And he did it. And the bitterness and the hardness is gone. She turned to him, she said, honey, would you like to know why I so quickly assented? He said, yes. She said, this morning I was impressed to claim the same promise that you claimed. Little did I dream you're claiming it. And God softened my heart. They were sweethearts again. Next question. This parent asks, how can you impress, impress upon your children the importance of the way to choose a right mate without your children thinking that you're preaching to them? This question is as important as any question I think has ever been asked. The way to instruct other people is not to appear to instruct them. <laughs> Nobody really likes to be instructed. <laughs> the way, do you know how Jesus instructed people? He told stories. Somebody said to Jesus, but who is my, my neighbor? And Jesus told him a story of somebody that came on the way from Jericho to, to Jerusalem. You remember the story, the man who fell among thieves? Jesus was constantly placing before people objective study rather than subjective study. Instead of saying, now look, you better be careful who you keep company with. See, that's not the way. 
He's, they can say, you know, when I <laughs> was keeping company, I was engaged three times. <laughs> and the first time, I didn't ask the Lord too much about it. And the second time, I didn't ask the Lord too much about it. And I had a lot of heartache. The third time, I asked the Lord to guide me. And I fell on my knees repeatedly. And I said, Lord, I don't know what your way is. And every time I sought the Lord, he impressed me. Now, people will listen objectively. They'll study objectively. That way, they don't feel belittled as though we were trying to instruct them and they needed the instruction. Try it with our children. Oh, it'll mean so much to them. Let's be extremely careful not to zero in on this holier-than-thou attitude. You know, <laughs> from the time I was a little boy in church, it seemed to me that a lot of the prayers that were offered in public were offered at the young people. Dear Lord, help our young people to realize the days in which they live. And I thought, oh dear, have they run out of all ammunition? And they've got to now get a big two-barreled gun and shoot their children even in prayer? And then I noticed, it seemed to me that when the preacher would run out of all other material, he'd preach at the young people. Can you imagine how much ill at ease a young person feels when we start zeroing in on him? Maybe I ought to give you one more story. <laughs> this is a parable, this one. A dad has a teenage boy. We'll call his name Jim. Jim needs a lot of instruction. So dad prays for Jim. He hasn't studied the seven secrets of communication. He hasn't studied that dad ought to be humble. So dad thinks he's got to bring conviction to Jim, even in his prayer. So his prayer goes something like this, and Jim, Jim hears him. Dear Lord, help Jim to straighten up and to listen what I'm telling him and behave himself. What effect does that have on Jim? It makes him hate God and his father both, or at least there's a gulf fixed. Now if dad would change his prayer, it would completely change Jim's attitude. It would go something like this. Dear Lord, thank you for my wonderful boy, Jim. But I'm sorry, dear Lord, that I haven't treated him as I should. Help me, Lord, from now on to be kind to Jim. And you know what Jim is liable to say? Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> he might be like the man... <laughs> I have to tell you another story. A man was sitting in, a, in a, <clears throat> an audience where Pastor Lane was preaching. Pastor Lane was a very, very eloquent preacher. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And this man got so excited with a wonderful warmth of Pastor Lane's preaching that he would say, Amen. And everybody turned around, you know, and glared at him. But he didn't even notice it. Amen, again he'd say. And it kind of bothered Pastor Lane because his voice sounded out above everybody else. One day, Pastor Lane got a hold of him, and he said, Brother, he said, could you kind of, could you kind of modulate? He said, it breaks my chain of thought. Oh, he said, Pastor, I never thought of that. I'll never say it again. I'll never say amen again. I'm sorry, Pastor. But the next time Pastor Lane started speaking, this man was so thrilled with a wonderful message but he wasn't supposed to say amen, and, and it just kept building up inside, and finally he said, whew, 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 amen, amen, amen. <laughs> now that's what Jim will say when we start preaching at him and we start humbling ourselves. Do we have time for one more? No, I think it's time to sing All right. the song. This media was brought to you by Audioverse. 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.